Welcome to Game On Business Talk Radio with your host, Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Our program is not afraid to discuss controversial business ideas and topics. Get ready for an unfiltered discussion of problems and solutions that today's businesses, large or small, face daily. Now, here's Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Hi, this is Game On Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. We have an awesome show for you today. We have something a little different today. Our show today is called Author Showcase, and we bring an author on the show uh, once a month, the uh, author of a business book or, or a very interesting book. So we're going to have an awesome show for you today. I want you to get a, uh, some coffee, have a seat. You're going to need a Bible and a seatbelt. This is Game On Business Talk Radio on WDJY 99.1 FM. Our author showcase today is with our author, Vicki Wright Hamilton author of Game Face Corporate Success Strategies of Trailblazing uh, of a Tech Warrior. I'm sorry if I'm saying it right. Game Face Face Corporate Success Strategies of a Trailblazing Tech Warrior. There it is. And uh, I want to welcome our guest, Vicki Wright Hamilton. How are you doing today, Vicki? I'm blessed. I'm great. How are you? Uh, I'm wonderful. Why haven't I heard about your book? Why have you been on my show before? That's what I'm going to ask. (laughs) Well, you know, the stars have to align. We need to get time together. But the beautiful thing is, is we made a connection and we're ready to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have a riveting book, and we're going to talk about that today. And um, I want you to drop some game on on our audience so they can understand why your book why they need to have your book and why it's important. Let me go through your bio real quick. You tell me if this is still current. Uh, you're CEO and founder of uh, WV, I'm sorry, VWH uh, Consulting. Is that right? Uh, LLC? That's is that right? right? Okay. That's right. You're an accomplished technology executive with over 20 years of experience in organizations. Uh, and you also provide consulting services on transformational initiatives and regulation and compliance issues and risk management strategy. Is that right? Yes. Awesome, awesome. And as well as an author of uh, Game Face. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yes, very... I, do some, I do some leadership coaching and change management um, through my strategy work um, as I work with individuals and companies. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. And uh, you see you have an MBA in management from St. Louis University. Is that right? That's correct. And a BS, uh, BA in management information systems from University of Dayton. Tell us what that, what those acronyms mean, BS, BA. What does that mean? It's a Bachelor of Science of Business Administration and Management Information Systems. And Management oh. Information Systems is the marriage between business and technology. Awesome, awesome. Well, we got to cut the butter, and let's get into Game Face. That is an awesome book. Uh, tell us some, tell us sisters what they should know about your book, Game Face. What are some things we should know about it? Well, let me t- the book is about my personal and professional life as a black woman in technology, which, you know, at, during the times where it still is today, a predominantly white male industry. Oh, wow. And it talks about my story, um, my personal story of how I had to navigate being um, leaders within organizations all the way through my executive levels and managing my family's struggles and the trials and tribulations um, that I had to go through. And I provide some strategies and solutions to address those things that I went through in the book. 
Oh, thank you. Vicki, uh, uh, I want to ask you, uh, what was the motivating factor that uh, caused you to write uh, Game Face? Tell the audience something about that. What, what was the impetus so besides writing Game Face? Oh, no problem. This is a very personal story, and it's um, it's very it comes directly from hits the heart hard, if you will. My mother um, has always wanted me to write a book about my journey. She felt like I had a lot of things happen within my life that I could benefit someone else. So she kept asking me, asking me to write this book. About seven years ago, my mother moved in with me. She wasn't doing as well. She and my dad were still married, but he would come back and forth to visit. And she wasn't doing as well, and I wanted to get her checked out by doctors um, where I was located. And she ended up doing really well while she was here and turned things around that she never went back home. She wanted to stay here. She always wanted to live in Atlanta, so daddy would continue to come and visit till he ultimately moved here. But about five and a half years ago, um, we unexpectedly lost my brother. Um, he was 14 months older than I am. Just We were like thick as thieves. And um, after my brother, you know, before my brother passed, we had this conversation, and he said, if I come back, I'm coming back as a, as a cardinal. And I said, okay. And so we would laugh and talk. And so we, my mother and I were sitting in the kitchen one day, and um, a cardinal came on my back porch. And I went, Mama, Tommy's back. She said, where? I said, and I was pointing to her on the balcony where, he was, where the bird was. And I said, he's here. We need to talk to him. And so we were having a short conversation. And she was like, oh, but I miss you. And I hope, uh, you know, I, I, I do anything to have you here and talk about how much she loves him. And I told him how much I missed him and loved him. We had a short little prayer. And he flew off. So when he left, I went, he didn't stay long enough. I need him to come back. And my mother looked at me and said, you know why he left, don't you? I said, what? She said, um, he doesn't need to come back. He was coming to tell you to write that damn book. Now get to writing. <laughs> and I said, okay, Mama, I'm going to write the book. So that was the motivation behind starting the book. But I kept telling her, Mama, why do I need to write my journey? Everybody in the world has a journey and a story that's worth sharing. She said, Vicki, if that book doesn't help for one person, it was worth every ink and piece of paper it was written on. You are here to share your story. That's what we're supposed to do to help others. Now write the book. So I did. Was it uh, painful for you to write Game Face, Vicki? Um, it wasn't painful, but what I will tell you is, is that um, taking the time to really reflect on my life, the challenges and the things that I had overcome was very powerful and the fact that I could look in the mirror and say, I made it. I'm here today. I'm still standing. I'm doing well. I'm okay. You know, we don't take time to celebrate our successes along the way. And we truly don't take time to really think about the things we've overcome. And we all have, you know, we all have a story and a journey. And I think that part of the challenge that we have is, is that we show the glory in everything that we do, from conversation to social media to how others perceive us and look at us. But people don't understand the story of what it took to get there. So when I really took time to appreciate my story 
it really helped me to understand the growth that I had made through my challenges, through the obstacles, and the wisdom that I had gained through that process. So that was the, that was the aha moment. But there were tears shed as I was writing it, as I was reliving some of the things that I had done um, and things that had happened to me. But there was a lot of joy on the side that I could say, I made it. I did it. And it's okay. I was uh I was curious when I was doing the research for your book. I uh, saw your uh, looks like you have a little uh, uh clip a video clip on your on your Amazon page your author page, and I wanted you to elaborate on what you were saying about uh, someone told you that you didn't belong in the IT industry or something. Uh, sure. Can you share that with the sure. audience? I think they need to hear that. Absolutely. So. Um, I was in school, and I happened at this time to be going to the same uh, university that my father was teaching at, and I was there because I could get free education. I didn't have to pay for it at that time. Oh, my. And he, there was, um, he worked in, in the uh, business school, and he was in the finance area, and the uh, computer science area that offered the MIS degree was right around the corner. And I already knew that, you know, I was the only black and I was uh, being his daughter. I knew I was going to be scrutinized. Everybody was going to, you know, run to him and tell him everything, et cetera. So what ended up happening was is um, I would come home and when we would sit at dinner table, daddy would always ask me about school. Well, this particular day he came home and he said, I got a visit from this professor that I had, and I said, uh-huh, and I knew what he was going to talk to me about. I already knew. I knew it was coming. I just didn't know when. And um, he said, uh, I had a visitor today. He came to talk to me about you. And I said, what did he tell you? And he said, he told me that you failed the test and that he doesn't think that you belong in computer science anymore and that you need to think about getting a different degree. Why did my father say that at the table? Because my mother went ape crap. <laughs> Is that right? Did she? Oh, no, not my baby. We're not going to have this. And so she was the one that was telling me, you can do anything you want to do. We can overcome this. And it was all because I got this one bad grade. Well, the thing that was the most gratifying out of all of that was that after I graduated and I was working my first professional career and I got my first promotion, I was making more money than he made. So I sent him a letter. Did you send him a letter? I sent him a letter. And I said to him, I just want to say thank you and to show you what not being good in technology looks like and not being successful looks like on the other side. And I sent him a copy of my paycheck stub, making more money than he was making. Oh, my. <laughs> so I share that to tell people, don't let anybody tell you what you can and cannot do. If you have the desires and the motivation and you want to do it, you can make it happen. 
It may take a little more effort, may take a little bit more time, but you don't let anybody set your direction for you. That's between you, you and, and what you want to do and, and having faith and moving forward. So throughout all that hard work, that's what happened. But he told me to get out. You know, Vicki, I read Magic Johnson's book, and he had a very similar story. And he said it was a guy that did that to him in high school and said he would yep. never amount to anything. And when Magic got his uh, first contract with the Los Angeles Lakers, he, you know, he went mm-hmm. and bought him a nice car. You know, he bought, you know, he, you know, splurged a little. So he drove back to the high school where he was, where he graduated from, excuse me, and I think it's Atlanta. He drove back to the high school, and that guy was a security guard that told him this. And a guy was still working there as a security guard. Okay, remember Magic was 19 years old. Remember he was two years out of college. Right. And he drove the car up to the parking lot. He drove it right in the yard so the guy could see it. And the guy comes outside being a security guard. And Magic said he stuck his head out so he could see who he was. He goes, yeah, thanks for telling me I would never mount anything. That is a wonderful yeah. story. <laughs> yeah. Like your story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I can definitely relate. I, let me ask you, I got to ask, did he uh, respond back to you? <laughs> Uh, no, he never responded back to me, and my father was still working there, and he never went and said anything to him. He never went around the corner to tell him anything, but when I did it, I didn't tell my father I was going to do it. I didn't tell my mother I was going to do it, but I had to do something to make myself feel like he didn't get away with anything, and he needed to know what he had done and that um, he had not destroyed me. That I have another. Not, I was not in a position that I could not make it. And I have another so, colleague just in the IT industry, and she said a professor, it was a TA actually, that told her the exact same thing, that she thinks she needs to change her major. She doesn't think she's cut off the IT. What is with these people doing this? Is this is that a pattern? Is that, I mean, that's that's well, you know, goodness. We all need to have people who believe in us, right? And through mm-hmm. our lives, and you know, this is you know as a sidebar to this, but I think it's very important. We all have to have mentors. We have to have sponsors, and we have to have coaches. And mentors as people to help you to show you what they did and how it might help you. Coaches to help you think outside of the box, really. To, to really um, stretch you and to really help you get out of your comfort zone and to move forward. And then sponsors who sit at the table who can help to make things happen, whether that table is a sponsor at a restaurant you're working at, whether it's corporate America, whether it's a factory, a mailroom, it doesn't matter. We all need to have those individuals in our corner. And what has happened historically is that when we, you know, in my generation, where I have been the only black for so long, and it was in that era where it still wasn't quote, unquote, accepted, and you're still fighting your way to prove that you belong, the challenge is is that they want to make sure that there's no room for you so you don't take over because affirmative action was in place at the same time. So the deal was, how do I keep my job? How do I keep moving forward and not let these people come in here and take over? So 
So I think that played a role. I think as time goes on, we're still having the same conversation. Yes, we're having opportunities to move up the ladder just a little bit. We're having opportunities to sit at the table. But just because you sit at the table doesn't mean you're included in the decision. You could be sitting at the table to occupy the chair so they can check the box and say I had diversity. So that's why when we start talking about women, and particularly women of color, and particularly in white male-dominated industries, you have to have those people who are going to support you and help you to move forward, that are going to be there to, um, to partner with you and that they believe in you. But we're not there yet, and that's why we still have a struggle that more and more women of color don't go into technology. It's a fight. It's hard. It's a lot of hard work. And there's not this belief from the individual side, well, I think I can do this because some of it is, oh, I think I have to know math and I have to know science and I have to know these things that I may not be good at because I didn't get the extra help I needed. I didn't have the champion to believe in me in high school. I didn't have the person to work with me. I didn't get the extra attention that I needed. So they're not as, they're feeling as though I'm not as prepared. They're feeling as though I don't have a chance. And the answer is you do. You can get extra help. You can get the things you need. There are organizations out there. There are nonprofits out there that focus on nothing but the ability to help uh, women get into technology and women of color specifically. So I think that these are all challenges that we're slowly trying to overcome, but, boy, we got a long way to go. Oh, Vicki, that'll take us to our first break. That's a good ending to our break. Business Talk with D. Anthony Balls. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You are tuned in to Game On Business Talk Radio with Dr. D. Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in. D. Anthony Miles, we have our wonderful uh, guest today. We're doing our author showcase show today. And our guest author is Vicki Wright Hamilton, author of Game Face. Uh, Vicki, uh, you talked about some of the inspiration, uh, especially that riveting story about what uh, uh, the impetus for you writing Game Face. And I wanted to know, uh, what was the most inspiring part of writing your book, Game Face? What, uh, was it one single event that really, really stood out that also made you, other than your brother's uh, spirit, that caused you to write Game Face? Is it something that happened to you? Did you experience failure? Did you experience triumph? What's another inspiring uh, impetus for why you wrote Game Face? Well, you know when my mother said to me that you have a story and if it only helps one person, it was worth it. And what inspired me was, you know, um, when we talk about our journeys and things that happen, as I mentioned before, we always talk about what's good. We don't really show the full picture. And people that have read my book that have known me had no idea what I had been through. They had no idea the trials and tribulations I went through both personally and professionally. So it inspired me because I, you know, I had to make hard decisions. I went through health challenges. I went through divorces. I went through being a single mom. I went through rape. I went through, there's lots of things that I went through in my life that, someone can pick up a story and find 
that there is hope. So the whole inspiration behind doing this was, I just want to give somebody hope. I just want to let them know you are not alone, that things are possible, and that you can manage through things that happen. It's not easy. There will be trials and tribulations, and for every trial and tribulation that you go through, it is a growth. There is growth that comes out on the other side. We just aren't psychics and just don't know what that growth is going to be on the other side. So I was really inspired to really help people. And, you know, when I took the attitude that my mother gave me, if it only helps one person, it was worth it, it really opened my ability to share. Because I was like, who's going to read my book? Who cares? I'm just another journey out there. I'm just another story. Why do they want to hear my story? But when you think about the trials and the tribulations, somebody else may be going through that right now, and they need a solution. Somebody may be going through some challenges that they're facing, and it offers an opportunity of hope for them. So that really inspired me to be more uh, uh, more vulnerable, and I was going to tell all the, be my authentic self um, and tell the good, the bad, and the ugly. I had a quick question for you. Let's talk about uh, one of the chapters in the book, Chapter 3, and you named it The Ultimate uh, Sacrifice. I really like that chapter. Can you give me some background about that chapter and uh, what what uh, what that chapter really is about? So you, so you tell the audience, obviously they don't have the book, but give me some background on Chapter 3, The Ultimate Sacrifice. Sure. So The Ultimate Sacrifice was really written because it was the first time in my life where I had to do something that was better for the family, that was going to help the family out financially, that was going to help the family out in terms of, you know, expenses and all that kind of stuff, Um, not creating loans of debt and things like that. So um, I had a dream. And I had a dream of a particular school I wanted to go to. And I didn't want to go anywhere else but there. And there were reasons why I wanted to do it. It was a legacy, you know, um, the school in terms of a lot of people in my family went there. But that's the only school I really wanted to go to. It was an HBCU school. And my dream was to be a student. That's all I wanted. That's all I thought about. But when I had to make sacrifices and do what was better for the family and leave the school, it was a very, very hard decision. And I talk about in the chapter the process I went through and why the things that I had to go through, the things that caused me um, to make the decisions that I had to make. So it was the ultimate sacrifice because as a young person, I didn't think I would have to make those kinds of choices so early in my life, but it was a very impactful um, decision, um, even as a grown adult today. Wow. So uh, so the sacrifice was to you had to take one for the team? Is that the message you're trying yeah. to state? Yeah. yeah, that's when I had to go to the university where my dad taught and didn't have to have um, expenses. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> <laughs> so you you hooked on Spelman, is that right? Yes. Man. The best that... school in the whole wide world is an HBCU, just saying. <laughs> okay. Now, the chapter that preceded Chapter 3, I don't forgot the title, is Chapter 2. Um, tell us about Chapter 2. 
how did that lead up to the ultimate sacrifice? So chapter two um, was really about the fact of my background. So I come from a family where um, my parents were very involved in civil rights movement, um, my mother more so than my dad because my dad was in the military. I talk about um, what that upbringing did in terms of setting me up for success in the future as an adult. Um, as a military brat, being able to adapt to change and accept things and understand that everything's you're not always equal when you live in the country and outside of the country. There are a lot of things you have to adapt to in that process. My mother was very um, was an educator, um, you know, had had um, uh, bachelor's and masters, and ultimately got PhD. And my father, you know, start, both of them started from nothing. They didn't have anything. So and both your parents went, have doctorates, is that right? That's correct. That's wow. And I've so, never um, seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, my mother had her doctorate in higher education, um, and my father had um, had his doctorate in finance. And um, but they started from nothing, and they got to those places even after we, you know, even while we were a family. You know, after I was born is when they both accomplished um, PhDs later on. But it really just gives a foundation that you know um, I'll never forget my mother telling me I went to school with a coat on my back, a pair of shoes, and a dress, and I had to wash my clothes every night to be able to go to school because that's all I had. And to know where she came from, my father grew up in the projects in Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, he went to school and majored in, in doing some other things other than education and went, got out and went into the military. And um, it talks about some of the challenges that he had to go through that we had to face as a family. So it really just sets the foundation of my background so people can understand a little bit more about me. That's an inspiring story. Interesting, man. I'm I, I'm gonna have to uh, make that my uh, on my your book. I'm just fascinated with some of those the anecdotes and the stories that you tell in there, and the message that I think you're trying to say is everybody has a humble beginning, and you know you're not an overnight sensation. That took a planning and timing, and that's just not you know overnight sensation just doesn't happen. And you, the way you tell your story, how you describe your situations, and I think this book can be an inspiration to young ladies uh, after us because obviously you're in IT field and Silicon Valley is is known for some of the quirks that they have. But the young lady reading your book would know how to be prepared for Silicon Valley type situation. Is that right, Vicky? That's right. And you know the other thing is is that I will say. Um, that book resonates with people that are not in technology. It's just that I happen to be in the technology field, but it resonates with others. I mean, I get lots of comments about how authentic the strategies are and how they could apply them to their personal life and their jobs regardless to what job they're in, regardless to what function area that they work in. It doesn't matter. Um, people talk about the fact that, you know, the transparency and the vulnerability helps you to really think about planning, you know, how you can deal with adversity when it hits you because we all have it. You don't have to be in, in the area of technology to do that. And so it was really important to me that, um, yes, I was in technology and 
I was coming up during a time where there weren't a lot of black females, hence the title. But it was really important for me to give situations that anybody could use under any situation, under any environment or circumstance or career because they could apply to them. That is interesting. Um, let's go back to, uh, you know, your humble beginnings. And when you're writing your book, uh, was there some things that you blocked out of your mind and it came back to you as you were writing? Did you have an author situation like that or experience like that? Well, somewhat like that. Um, I think for me, um, you know, we all have lots of details, and I didn't want the book to be too long. There's a lot I didn't put in the book. Otherwise, we'd be reading a long time. So okay. I picked those things that were really relevant and important from a personal and professional thing, uh, a professional aspect that I thought people, there would be more people that had, uh, that would need that type of information, that type of hope, um, that type of situation in terms of dealing with it. Um, but what happened, I will say that some of the um, challenges that I went through, um, after they happened, I did try not to dwell on them. I tried not to um, hold them or have any grudges or anything because I know in order to be forgiven for things I've done, I've got to be able to forgive others. So I really tried to let it go. Um, but then when I started writing and I wanted to be as authentic as, po as possible, that's where the tears came out because all of the feelings that I had, all of the things that I was going through at that time, I wanted to reveal in the book as I wrote it. But at the same time, I wanted to talk about how it came out in the end so that as you were going through it, you see you have tears, you have laughter, you have all kinds of things throughout the book. And it's um, not a long read. It's a quick read, um, per se. It's not too long. And um, it, truly, it truly allows um, people to um, sit down and relate. Um, to circumstances and situations um, that they're facing. So, yes, I did have some of that, but more importantly, I um, really dug deep to um, really talk about um, the feelings and the issues and the situations so that I could be as authentic and helpful in delivering the message. Um, and it uh, brought up tears. It, you know, you, you cry through some of that at times and going, wow, I really did this. I really went through this. And but look at me now. Awesome. While we take a break, you know, we'll get back into some chapters in the book that the uh, audience will be very interested in. This is uh, Game on Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You are tuned in to Game On Business Talk Radio with Dr. D. Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game On Business Talk with D. Anthony Miles, and we have our uh, guest today, our author showcase show. Our guest is with uh, our topic today is uh, with uh, writer and author Vicki Wright Hamilton, author of Game Face and. Uh, Vicki, this is a inspiring book. I'm just curious at some of the things that you are uh, recounting in your stories. I want to get into another chapter. I want to get into the chapter eight where you talk about uh, 
bad things happen to good people. Can you uh, talk about that chapter and elaborate on it for the audience? Sure. So this chapter deals with some health challenges that I had but keeping the faith and really walking that faith walk and what it meant and the things that I had to deal with. And while at the same time, um, it was also um, a work situation where as a leader, you know, um, I got faced with a challenge um, after making a decision that was um, not my own doing. And, you know, it brought up a lot of, you know, people say, look at you and go, you know, why do leaders get paid so much money? And how come my boss makes all the money and I do all the work? I'm the one that puts the work out. And they make a lot of money and they're able to do more. It's not fair. It's not equitable, et cetera. And although, you know, there is a difference, and I believe that everybody should have um, pay equity um, for the roles that they do, this chapter also highlights the fact of the amount of responsibilities that leaders have to take and situations that they have to face that have consequences and impacts and can have even more negative impacts even up to and including their families when they make certain decisions. Um, and things that, you know, when you have people that are working for you, um, everybody, you don't know what's going to turn that person, you know, into being an evil person, not doing things right. You don't know what's going to set that person off. I think as years gone on, we've seen lots of, you know, challenges where in work situations people have come back and murdered people and people have come back and, you know, shot up everybody or whatever the case may be, and you don't know what set them off or why they felt they had to go to that extreme. But back in this time, it wasn't to that extreme, but it was um, the situation that I went through um, was very difficult and um, had ramifications and consequences. But I did what was right. And I held on to the fact that I knew that I had done what was right and that I was going to be protected, you know, professionally, and that it would be okay in the end. And then as I was dealing with that and dealing with health challenges at the same time, I knew that I had to take care of me because I had a son who needed me. Wow, that's an inspiring chapter. I've heard people that have been successful like yourself say this. Uh, success is not linear. It's jagged. You're going to go on a different uh, – you may get off your path. But anybody that's been successful will tell you that success is not linear. You didn't graduate, get your degree, find an awesome job, and life, life happened ever after. It doesn't work like that. There's always going to be some uh, dips in your career. And one of the chapters I think you talk about that is in, uh, let's see, you talk about that in uh, Will the Real Husband Please Stand Up. Is that accurate? <laughs> <laughs> Chapter two. <laughs> Yes, so um, I talk about um, my, you know, my my dating life, my relationship life, my married life, and um, decisions that I made and challenges that I went through and divorces that I went through and all of that. And um, ultimately, um, I found the man of my dreams who has been my rock, my supporter, and it was definitely worth the wait. Um, he is a man that truly took 
um, the fact that I had children uh, to heart um, because he was a man that stepped to, a pl- stepped to the plate and adopted the boys. And they have been his from day one. He's never, you know, it's one of those situations where um, they're grown, um, but that's daddy. And um, he was the real man for me. And I talk about some of the challenges that went through, what I had to do to get there, some of the pain that I went through along the way, um, some of the things that happened even after we met each other, you know, and how are we going to move forward. So, yeah, that was the personal side. Will the real man stand up? And he stood up. I got to ask you, how was your son when you met your uh, husband? Well, you know, it's an interesting story. Um, my son, I didn't bring anybody around around my children until um, I knew that it was going to be serious. I just don't bring men in and out. And um, I happened to live um, in the same place my parents did, or if I didn't, um, I got babysitters, but I had somebody to stay with the kids because I just didn't want to introduce anything until I knew it was going to be real. So when my current husband um, was talking about getting married, and I said, whoa, 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 there's two things we got to do before we start talking about getting married. He said, what? I said, one is counseling, and two, you got to talk to Artie, uh, my son. And um, he said, okay. So we went through our counseling. Things went fine, and, you know, we, we had a lot in common. There was a lot of synergies. There were, you know, a lot of support there, et cetera. So we made it through that one. And so then he wanted to talk to my son. So I'll never forget this day. Um, He uh, sat down and uh, explained what he wanted to do and what he was thinking. And he says, you know, I love your mom. He said, oh, you do? And he said, yes. And he said, I just want to know what would you think if I married her? And he looked up at her, at at him and said, "Uh, can I call you daddy? He said, yes. He said, then you can marry my mom. And so, um, because he had already told him that he loved me and that he wanted me, so he was very open um, to the the relationship and very open, you know, to the marriage. So your son actually called him dad after y'all got married? Is that right? Yep. Immediately called him dad because uh, his father wasn't in his life, and he called him dad, and then my husband adopted him. Oh, legally? Is that right? Yes. Yes, oh, but my wow. children are legally adopted. Yes. How old was your son again at the time? Uh, he was seven and a half, I guess, eight, eight, maybe about eight years old when, when, when that happened. Wow, that's a wonderful story. Yeah. Will the real yeah. husband stand up? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a real husband. <laughs> wow. So, um, the, so how old is your son now, uh, Vicky? Almost 33, and my other one's uh, almost 25. <laughs> and they, he still calls him daddy or dad? Everybody calls him daddy, yep. Wow. Man, mm-hmm. they done they put, put him through a basic training, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say no, no sons going to get over on my husband, period. Okay, I'll tell who they are. Because <laughs> you know how that works. Well, you ain't my real daddy anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we didn't have that problem, uh, you know, because, you know, dad wasn't in the picture or anything. But, um, 
that we didn't have that problem, and it was uh, it was very much a uh, situation where they called him daddy and kept it moving. And now, as grown men, you know, they talk about you know, um, I know dad did what he when he was tough with us. It was only because he loved us and wanted to make us better men. And um, that you know, so they appreciate that, and they feel you know that when I watch the closeness with them as adults, I just get chills because they're friends. We all like each other as friends. We like each other as people. We love spending time together. It's a it's a beautiful thing, you know. It's not like oh god, my child's coming over. Oh my god, I have to do this. And my son, my oldest son, and his wife um, blessed us with a beautiful handsome, sweet, young baby boy, and he's the, the, the light of our, of our eyes and the beat of our hearts for both of us, and um, when he comes over and we keep him, we both, you know, keep our grandson. It's, it's just wonderful um, the, the, the amount of closeness and love that, ha, that is there between the boys and their daddy and their extended family. So I've truly been blessed. It was worth the wait. It was worth all the trials and tribulations. Now, when I was going through all that, you couldn't have told me that it was worth it. But on the other side of it, it was worth it. And um, I gained a lot through a lot of the adversity that I had to face. Uh, so that leads to my next uh, question, and uh, i got to hear your story on this. Give me some uh, insight on Chapter 11, the leader I always wanted to have. Give me, give, what's, the, what's, what's that chapter about? Um, that chapter is really about taking risks, um, both personally and professionally. I had to make some decisions, um, you know, about moving. I had to make some decisions about job. I had to make some decisions about what I was going to do. And I quit a job without another job you know, um, on faith and what I went through in doing that. Um, and I tell a little bit about, you know, um, why I did it and that I was taking, in my mind, a very calculated risk in terms of moving forward. And that when I got my first position, you know, after moving, that I learned one of the biggest lessons of my life as a as a manager, as an early manager, and that was that everybody doesn't want to be um, a leader of other people. Everybody doesn't have the exact same goals. It's not like when you're told, okay, you're going to grow up, you're going to go get a job, and then you become a supervisor, and then you'll be a manager, and you move on up the ranks, and blah, 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 blah. Everybody doesn't want to do that. That's not their, that's not their passion. That's not their joy. That's not what they're interested in doing because what ended up happening was the person who hired me, he was hiring his boss, and I had no idea. And um, the level of the relationship and the level of respect that he had for me and the level of, of camaraderie and teamwork and things that happened were just unbelievable. And he was an African American man. And I, when I found out that he was up for that position and turned it down, I said, what was it that made you pick me? Why did you pick me? And he said, because you represent everything that this organization needs and a true leader. 
and I want you as my boss. And I was like, wow, wow. That is and a remarkable story. Through the working, through working there, some challenges happened company-wise, and I had to make some other decisions. So it was really about um, taking risks at the end of the day. Wow, this sounds like a textbook for uh, graduates of the university you went to. Sounds like. Go ahead, go ahead, Vicky. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's interesting that you say that because one of the things that I am most proud of, and I'm very humbled and honored, is that um, Selman offers a program in women's studies. My book is part of their curriculum. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Oh, goodness. Man, you hit a home run, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm very blessed. I'm just humbled and honored and blessed, and for it to be the school that was my dream. I couldn't ask for anything else, you know. So um, hopefully in the future I'll be able to continue to get it out to other, you know, colleges and universities um, so that they too um, can utilize the book um, within their studies. But um, I was blessed and fortunate to have my first goal to be spelled. Oh, goodness. Let's uh, take another break. Uh, We'll be right back. This is Game On Business Talk with Anthony Miles. We have our wonderful guest, Vicki Wright Hamilton, author of Game Face. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. You are tuned in to Game On Business Talk Radio with Dr. D'Anthony Miles. We'll be right back. Hi, we're back. This is Game On Business Talk with D'Anthony Miles. We have our show today, author showcase, author Vicki Wright Hamilton, author of Game Face. And uh, you talked about... Uh, some really interesting chapters in your book. Let's talk. Let's go over a couple of more chapters. I gotta ask you about this one. Uh, Adventures in diversity. What is that about? <laughs> Chapter twelve. Well, um, it's about it's about a work situation that came up while I was the um, I was running a technology organization, but I was also the chairperson for a diversity council. And I got presented with a situation that I had to deal with, uh, a diversity situation that I had to deal with with a, um, one of my um, staff members. And it took a lot for me to really look inside and make sure that I wasn't um, having any unconscious bias, that I wasn't being biased, that I was doing exactly what was needed for for the individual and the organization, and that I was going to ensure that the challenge um, that this individual was facing um, was going to be dealt with appropriately. And um, it was during a time where, you know, um, we're, we're just beginning to talk about diversity and what diversity is, and at that time, you know, when we first began, it was, is it black, white, is it male, female, you know, um, situations. And then we got into, and, and the religion and, and that kind of thing. And then we get into um, different diversity um, demographics that have been added since then. You know, we get into the LGBTQ and we get into understanding what that means. And we then expand, um, instead of black, white, it's now people of color. We're, we're uh, being more, it's more inclusive today than it was back then. But um, I really had to look inward, and I really 
had to respond. I had to respond quickly, but I had to ensure that my actions and behaviors were truly acceptable from a diversity perspective and that I was being a true, authentic leader in moving the organization forward. I got to piggyback on that, uh, Vicki. Uh, what are some of the issues you've seen in corporate America with diversity? Is that just a buzzword that everybody's saying that they actually have conviction behind it and mean it? Because you still are seeing uh, uh, organizations, most likely in IT, where they have lily white uh, workforces. What is that about? Uh, you know, it's very interesting you asked me that question. One of the things that um, that I talk about um, in some of the times when I'm doing workshops is that the word diversity has become very commoditized because we are including everything, right? So you don't really know when an organization says we want to improve our diversity, what do you really mean? What are you trying to improve? Is it is it the race? Is it the sex? Is it the knowledge? Is it... Um, sexual orientation, is it religion, what does it really mean to you? Is it competence? Is it experiences? And that becomes extremely important because what happens when you don't do that and people really go back to um, the core of what the demographics used to be, uh, we end up checking boxes that qualify um, for multiple areas. So it's no secret that if you get if you take two women, one black and one white, if you take um, a white woman, she classifies as a diverse candidate, right? Um, oh, wow. And, and, and really? Of, oh, yes, absolutely. Um, because you're adding women to women as a sex. Um, you're adding that because that's what you meant when you said diversity. But then a black woman covers two. She covers the ethnicity as well as she covers the female. A Latino um, a Hispanic, a Asian, an Indian, it doesn't matter. They cover multiples. Well, what ends up happening is that if you're not very clear about what's important to you from a diversity perspective, when you tell a leader you have to have a diverse candidate, they may say, well, I only need to have one white woman and I can check the box and I'm done, right? I don't have to do any more. Um, I've met the requirements. Um, so I think that it's critically important that organizations begin to define what does it really mean to you and what metrics are you really trying to improve and what does it look like. So in technology, we talk a lot about women, period, because there still aren't a lot of women, regardless of what your ethnicity is. There's not a lot of women. But more, in, uh, just as importantly, there's not a lot of women of color in technology. So you're still facing that challenge from a technology perspective, which is why we're still having those conversations today. But companies need to really think about when they say, I'm going to invest in diversity efforts. I want to partner with organizations. I want to help organizations. What are you partnering on? And what is your investment really pertaining to? Even in, you know, when we think about technology, is it that you want to get more women of color in? You want to get more women, period, as well as an extra effort of more women on co in color, uh, women of color? What is it that you're really aspiring to do? Because it is a definition that's getting overused um, from a diversity perspective. I also believe 
that the word inclusion really means a different level of education. And we talked about earlier how you can be included at the table because you have a seat, but you're not included in decision-making and have no power, no authority, no real decision-making um, ability to impact change. So I think when we begin to talk about inclusion, what does that mean to an organization? And what are we looking to do? I was reading an article in Forbes, and they were talking about how, you know, we've done a really good job of getting, um, you know, of somewhat increasing women CEOs. You know, we had about 24% that were women um, CEOs of, of, major of major companies, right? But only 12% of that were black or a person of color, right? So the challenge is, is that we're making progress, but we're by no means where we need to be overall. So if a company decides, look, we really want to increase our diversity of leadership, and we want that diversity of leadership to be people of color, whether it's a woman, whether it's a male, doesn't matter, people of color, then you begin to have to deal with some um, education on unconscious bias, understanding our biases, understanding, you know, our history of where we've come from as to why we feel the way we do. So we can then change our behaviors to be more accepting of, um, of diversity from um, all aspects and not just the way that, you know, um, it used to be defined. So I think those things are really critically important, and we have to get to the point where we're having those real conversations and not surface-level conversations about diversity and inclusion. Oh, that's a great, great uh, insight into what you were talking about. Uh, that, that leads me to, um, I have to ask, Chapter 13, what does that mean, actions speak louder than words? What is that about? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we all say actions speak louder than words in everything that we do, you know, um, in terms of moving forward, in terms of um, our abilities um, to make change and impact. And so in, in this um, chapter, I really talk about um, what it means to have an opportunity to work for someone that looked like me but was a male, the power and the impact of that, the things that uh, we were able to do together as um, executives, he was CEO and I was COO um, of an organization and moving forward, and the ability to um, take the risk again. And um, he allowed me the opportunity to learn areas I had never been exposed to before in terms of managing or leading myself, right? Um, I had interfaced with, the, with other areas in organizations like sales and marketing and other things, but I had not directly managed. And he gave me opportunities that he allowed me the ability to learn and to grow while he was there to help me and guide me and mentor me along the way because I had not done it before. So he truly put, you know, um, his actions um, in place to make it happen. One of the other things is that through that process, um, uh, I also was able to build um, relationships with some of the um, team members um, and um, others in the organization. 
And when we decided to sell the company and let it go, um, I was able to create situations where some of those individuals that were impacted, you know, had opportunities um, to come and work with me later on. And some of the things that were the growth and the learning of all that was beyond anything I could ever have imagined. And don't believe I would have ever had that type of experience and ultimately impact to help someone else in their journey had he not given me the opportunity that he gave to me for me to discern if that role of a COO is really what I wanted to do in the future. So he, um, I will always be grateful to him by taking risks on me. But I talk about what that risk on me meant and how I had to perform and what I needed to do in order to make sure that he took a calculated risk and not an uneducated risk um, in terms of what he thought that I could produce and move forward with. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, the listeners want to uh, get a copy of your book. Where's, uh, where's your book being sold, uh, Game Face? Where's Game Face being sold, Vicki? You can get my book on my website. It's Vicki, V-I-C-K-I, W-R-I-G-H-T, Hamilton, H-A-M as in Mary, I-L-T-O-N.com, and you can also get it at Amazon. Uh, okay. How about Barnes & Nobles? Can you get it there too? <laughs> no, it's only on Amazon. <laughs> oh, okay. All righty. If they I someone, I, I'm sorry. I go ahead. That I have a I have a softback book as well as the ebook if they prefer ebook. So if uh, someone wants to contact you about doing a book signing, would you be interested in that, Vicky? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, you can reach me. You can reach me at Vicky V I C K I at VickiWrightHamilton.com. All righty. Well, I think that uh, that closes our show. We had an awesome show today. This is our author showcase show with our guest author, uh, Vicki Wright Hamilton, author of Game Face. And uh, we want to thank her for joining us today. Go out and get Game Face. Make that part of your books, your library. You need to get Game Face. So that's our show for the game. Thank you for our author showcase with our, our guest author, Vicki Wright Hamilton. That's our show for the week. We will see you next week. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful day. This is Game On Business Talk with Anthony Miles. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Game On Business Talk Radio with host D. Anthony Miles.